Play the movie. Yeah, play. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Milk Movies Podcast. Happy May the 4th. May the 4th be with you, everyone. If you did not hear the big news last week coming from Disney, every movie in the Skywalker saga will be available to stream on Disney Plus as of today. If you don't have your favorite Star Wars movie, you just want to binge through all of them while there's nothing else to do, whatever the case may be, you can finally stream every movie in the Skywalker saga today as Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker, does get added to the mix today. Uh, that's big time news. I Not to brag, I actually own every single Star Wars movie. I'm a big proponent of... I like owning my movies. Deal with it. I know that's like the least popular thing in the world and done with all these streaming services, but get over it. If you love Star Wars, if you have Disney+, Plus, you can go through all of those movies starting today. Um, getting into other movie news, Riley Stearns, the director of The Art of Self-Defense, is set to direct Duel. Duel is a sci-fi thriller, and it's starting a pretty solid cast. Uh, it is starring Karen Gillan, Aaron Paul, Beulah Kowale, Martha Kelly, and Jesse Eisenberg. So, I- I'm excited at least. Jesse Eisenberg is teaming back up with Riley Stearns, this time with, a, I guess, a stronger cast. So, excited to see what that's going to be about. That's all I know about it so far. Um, otherwise, the Academy announced that they will allow streamed films to be eligible for Best Picture in the Oscars this year. I mean, one of the most least surprising things in the world, given that they don't have any movies to consider for the awards uh, in 2021. So, (laughs) not a surprise. Good for them for actually doing it. I I still think it's weird that you can't, um, that streaming movies aren't options to win. Uh, Worst case, I mean, you can just say that they're, you know, they're being considered for an Oscar and then just not pick them if you're really that butthurt about streaming movies. But, um, I mean, whatever, we'll see if this opens the door maybe for, um, the awards past this next coming Oscars, uh, just for streaming movies to be available to win. We'll see. Not expecting anything crazy, but come 2021, when the Oscars come around again for this year's movies, they will be including, uh, streamed films, uh, for eligibility. Otherwise, Next up, we have a feud. We have some major beef between AMC and Universal as a result of Trolls. Trolls World Tour was sent to streaming by Universal a little bit ago, and Universal said that they earned, I don't remember the exact numbers, but they earned so much more money from it being available on streaming as opposed to if they had let it stream, or at least just sit in theaters, so... As a result, they said, this worked out great for us. I think in the future, we're going to start to send more movies to streaming. Not all of our movies, but if it makes sense to send a movie to streaming because we're going to make more money on it, why not? Especially given the times, you can't send it to theaters. You got this movie just sitting around. People need entertainment. Go for it. Great idea, Universal. Well, AMC didn't like that. AMC thought that Universal went behind their back, and they said they will no longer screen any Universal movie in their theaters. They also said that this is not some hollow or ill-considered threat. This is an actual thing that was, it went into effect as soon as they announced it. Um, this is big time though. Regal actually followed suit with them as well and said that they will not be streaming, um, any Universal movie in their theaters. Uh, this decision includes No Time to Die, 
Candyman, Fast and Furious 9, Jurassic World Dominion, Minions, Rise of Gru, and really any Blumhouse movie. I don't know what AMC plans to do instead. I mean, like, when No Time to Die comes out, you're just going to not play it? I don't, I don't know what their plan is, especially for something like Minions Rise of Gru. Feel about that how you will. That's going to make some money for them, so bold move there. We'll see what happens. Um, I just can't believe that Trolls World Tour... This is what this is what what tipped it off. I, it, it's just I totally get both sides here. I get AMC being upset because they're worried about street, the success of streaming and you know the, the the process of theaters being cut out and movies just being sent directly to streaming. You know they don't want that process to be sped up because unfortunately it almost seems somewhat ine- inevitable that that's going to happen. I for one am a big time fan of the theater experience. I think that there's something to be said about being there with a crowd of people you don't know who are sharing that same experience, especially like when I saw Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame, two of the greatest theatrical experiences of my entire life. Like, I'm not going to get that at home. That movie is not the same without the people, without the big screen, without the surround sound, without the dark room, without my phone, just in my lap, in my pocket, whatever. There's something to be said about that. So I, I do love the theater experience. Um... So I get AMC side of it. I, they, I, we don't want that process to be sped up. From Universal side, they're a business. They're a studio. They need to make money on their projects. Can't do it in theaters right now. You got to send it to streaming. That's an option. They obviously made way more money on it. But you also have to remember, if you're AMC, this is just, I think, a sign of the times. Do you think that Trolls World Tour is going to make this much money if they're allowed to go to the theater still? Even if, if, if you're allowed to go to the theater, they decide to not send this movie to the theaters they just decide to stream it and just try and be competitive with other movies i don't think it's going to do as well parents are at home with their kids their kids need to be entertained there's nothing to do 20 bucks absolutely two hours just go sit in the living room watch a movie call it good totally get the decision from universal too just as a movie person this decision just sucks i can't imagine it's going to stick i honestly think that amc was just trying to throw it out there they're, they're not going to just take it lightly um so in that sense they're just defending theaters in that sense good for them i just don't i don't think anything's going to come of this i just we'll see i I will keep everyone posted the best i can i definitely want to know more as the the cards kind of unfold here but we'll see i don't know nothing makes sense right now movies don't make sense do what you will amc defend yourself defend theaters go for it all moving on LeBron James, the star of the upcoming Space Jam movie, now entitled Space Jam, A New Legacy, LeBron gave us our first look at really just the logo for the movie and the fact that it would be called Space Jam, A New Legacy. Um, I, for one, really couldn't care care less that this movie is coming out. The first Space Jam, if anything, is just fake nostalgia. I I don't even remember seeing it as a kid. I'm sure I did, but uh, that movie did nothing for me. I, it's a it, it's a it's a bad movie. If you don't think it's a bad movie, I'm sorry, but Space Jam is a bad movie, especially with LeBron making this one now. I'm sure the production quality is going to be much higher. I know LeBron is just a pretty obnoxious fellow, so I'm sure he's gonna you know put his own little spin on the movie. I'm just not looking forward to this. It's coming though. Whatever, it, whatever. It's not even like a LeBron against MJ thing for me. It's literally just I don't care about Space Jam. I'm sorry moving past space jam now because i I really like i don't care lionsgate 
Lionsgate, another studio, uh, they announced that they will be pushing back literally everything. Again, not a surprise, just some highlights from it. Antebellum moves back to August 21st of this year. Um, that's good that we're at least going to get that movie this year. Spiral, on the other hand, will be pushed back to next year. Spiral is the movie starring uh, Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson. That movie has been pushed back to next year until May 21st. Uh, that was supposed to release in 2020, and otherwise, John Wick Chapter 4, unfortunately, was supposed to release in 2021. I would imagine this is just a production issue. Um, that moves to May 27th of 2022. Uh, originally, John Wick Chapter 4 and the upcoming Matrix movie were supposed to release in the same weekend, and that would have been the ultimate Keanu weekend, and it would have been fantastic, but now John Wick, again, I think it's production issues, has been moved back to 2022. Jumping to what I will be going over next week. I'm excited to announce I will be reviewing one of my absolute favorite movies of all time. I will leave it at that so I don't give away any more spoilers. Knives Out. Knives Out will be my 2019 review. Absolutely love that movie. Uh, not available to stream yet, unfortunately. Um, otherwise, Dinner for Schmucks. I'm going to be pairing Knives Out with a bad movie. Spoiler alert. I have a lot of really awesome movies uh, scheduled for the upcoming podcasts and reviews, um, so I really want to make sure that I can sprinkle in as many bad movies as possible, so I'm not just, if anything, I'm going to tell you a movie that you should watch, and then I'm going to throw in a movie like, hey, if you see this on there, don't get tricked and watch it, skip this movie. I'm going to try to maybe balance it out like that. So Dinner for Schmucks, that is available on Netflix. I have so many things to say about that movie, too, because... Again, I don't want to give any spoilers aloud because I, I think that Dinner for Schmucks should be an all-time review for me because I I just have so many things to say about that movie. Dinner for Schmucks available on Netflix. Knives Out, not available to stream, but that'll be my 2019 review. Jumping to what I will be discussing today, the rest of the way. Bad Education, that released just a little bit over a week ago, the same weekend as Extraction. I'm finally getting to that. That is available on HBO. After that, I will be talking about The Lighthouse for my 2019 review. That is available on Amazon Prime. Finally, I will close it out with another HBO movie, The Nice Guys. That released in 2016. Fantastic comedy. That's how I'll be closing out the episode. So without further ado, let's jump into Bad Education. In hindsight, I feel silly for having had such high expectations for what I thought this movie was trying to be. Now, is that the fault of HBO or the people who put the trailer together? Although I would like to say yes, so I can place the blame on someone else, I'll, I'll put my hand up on this one and just admit that I was wrong. Bad Education is rated TVMA. Remember, it's an HBO original film. It is directed by Corey Finley. It is categorized as a biography, comedy, and crime movie. It runs one hour and 48 minutes long, and it stars Hugh Jackman, Allison Janney, and Ray Romano. This movie came in at a 79% full on the milk meter. Not a bad score by any means, but I definitely had higher expectations for it. And now, to clarify. I went wrong in thinking this movie would be full of laughs, due to a dramatized version of the real events that this movie was based on. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the true story, the long and short of it is that some higher-ups at Roslyn High School in New York stole a lot of money from local taxpayers to help fund a more lavish lifestyle for themselves. According to an article from Rolling Stone, there are a few things that bad education got right and a few things that bad education got wrong in the telling of this story. One of them being Frank Tassone actually throwing 
Pamela Glocken under the bus when she was exposed for her expenses. Now, they obviously did go into this whole lie together. They knew that they were both stealing money from the taxpayers and from the school. But as soon as Glocken was caught, Tassone said, screw it, I'm cutting you out, threw her under the bus. And in real life, it took about two years until Tassone was caught himself. But it was just uh, within the same school year in the movie that Tassone was caught. I'll explain what that means more in a second as to why they kind of had to speed that up. But another thing that was true, obviously, like I said, Tassone and Glucken did go in on this together. They were very open about the fact that they had money. They weren't telling people where it came from, but they at least had each other to go off of to say, you know, like, I have money, you have money. They were extremely brazen about the things they were buying and the lives that they were living. This includes Tassone's hair, his suits, and the surgeries he was getting on his face. Uh, and the flights that he was taking and whatnot as well. So, he made it very, like, you just look at him. You, you just look at Frank Tassone and it's like, boom, that guy's got money. As for Pamela Glucken, she was more of, you know, buying houses, she was buying nice amenities and whatnot, and if you asked her for money, she was able to take care of it. She just made it known, like, I have an endless supply of money. They just weren't shy about those things. I guess nobody really asked where it came from, because their school was doing so well and whatnot, but still. They're just not hiding the fact that, like, they have a ton of money. Obviously, eventually got caught. Now, back to how they got caught and, you know, the whole timeline thing. The Rachel Bargava character, she is intended to be a composite of the Hilltop Beacons writers. That's the school's newspaper. Now, what's crazy, the Hilltop Beacon did, in fact, break the story before it went national. That's insane. And Bargava was intended to be the character that just, you know, she helped the audience learn and follow along as the story unfolded and more information was uncovered. Sure, she was there more so for us. Like I said, she was a composite of all of the writers there. I would imagine the reason that they sped up the timeline too, so that Tassone was caught within that same academic year, was because you can't have Rachel Bargava graduate and then still like covering the story or just having other characters, other students carrying that story on. So they just sped it up to do it while she was still in school. Finally, something that they got, I don't want to say very wrong, but just oddly wrong, and I think on purpose, uh, the real Frank Tassone did not hide his sexuality and did not have an affair with a former student. In an interview with Co the, the Coach Mike podcast, again, the real Frank Tassone, clarified that he never hid the fact that he was gay, nor did he cheat on his partner because he claimed that they had an open relationship. That doesn't mean that he wasn't with another person, but he didn't cheat on him, at least. And it wasn't a student. Tassone was also bothered by the fact that they made his sexuality such a focal point in the movie. Now, regardless of what was accurate and what was inaccurate in the movie, it really just felt like a telling of the events from start to finish. That's not a bad thing. Especially when the events in the story are so shocking and interesting as they are. But... I still don't understand the point of not making the movie purely based on the facts of the situation. Again, based on a true story. With that, I was expecting there to be more exaggerations and extremes throughout the movie, and honestly, that's where I was expecting the humor to kick in. But really, it just seemed like the only parts that weren't entirely true were how the lies were uncovered and the truth came out, you know, with the Rachel Bargaba character as well as the life that Tassone was hiding, which in my opinion didn't add to the story at all. So I totally get why the real Frank Tassone was upset about how he was portrayed. I don't think that he was necessarily portrayed as a 
crazy villain in this movie, and neither was um, Alice and Janney's character, but it was just a weird, like, if you're, if you're not going to tell the exact true story, which in itself is interesting, the way that they manipulated the truth didn't make sense. I don't think that that made the movie better. If you're going to twist it a little bit, I think they could have done way more to make this movie really, really exciting, but I'm not in charge of the movie, whatever. I still liked it, so whatever. Like, I mean, I had a few issues with bad education. That's what I've been talking about, but I still enjoyed it. As I mentioned before, the facts of the situation alone are shocking and interesting, so even without the strong performances from Hugh Jackman and Alice and Janney, the movie had a lot going for it. I thought they could have either stuck to the facts alone or gone in the opposite direction by exaggerating certain things much more than they did to make this movie even better. But all in all, I still thought Bad Education was a solid watch, and it's another movie that I would recommend you go see for yourself. Artistically unique, darkly thrilling, and aggressively ambiguous, Robert Eggers' follow-up film to The Witch was highly anticipated last year, and it mostly delivered. The Lighthouse is rated R, it was directed by Robert Eggers, it is categorized as a drama, fantasy, and horror movie, it runs 1 hour and 49 minutes long, and it stars Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. Valeria Karaman is listed in the cast, she's the third one up, don't really know why. I mean, it's, it's Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe in this movie. This movie came in at an 82% fall on the milk meter, and I really hate to be the guy that compares two movies just because they were directed by the same person, similar to how fans reacted to Jordan Peele's follow-up to Get Out, but I just couldn't evade that mindset this time. I know it's not very fair, but especially in the horror genre, that's going to happen a lot. First off, let's talk about what I liked. The dark tones and the way it was shot were very unique, and it really added to the mood and the setting of the film. Wet, cold, dirty, gross, and every other filthy adjective that describes the setting of the rock these men were on was felt from the get-go. You really felt like you were there with them. Now, the deranged personalities and emotions of Pattinson and Defoe were easy to buy as well, thanks to their acting abilities. But wow, was there a lot to unpack with this movie. Since releasing in November last year, if you had the chance to see this movie and even so much as think you understood what was happening, I still highly suggest you watch an explanation video or two on YouTube to gain a better understanding of what messages can be taken away from the movie as a whole, and what theories can be taken away from the ending especially. Going back to Egger's 2015 film The Witch, I thought there was a perfect balance of what was subjective or ambiguous, and what was objective or straightforward. I love movies that make you think and ask questions and simply leave you curious, but for something like The Lighthouse, where the majority of the movie was very subjective, I think I would have enjoyed it a touch more if I wasn't confused at several points of the movie. Unfortunately, that's part of what took me out of this movie, and why I say The Lighthouse mostly delivered. Even so, the movie was as intense and eerie as I believe it was intended to be, but the over-subjectiveness of it, uh, that was the main reason why it went from a score, possibly, in the 90s, to an 82. Still a great score, still a good movie, and one that I would recommend, but nevertheless, a movie that might have just been a little too much for my brain. The Nice Guys is an absolutely perfect, perfect example of why I started Milk Movies 
and why I'm here talking to you today. The Nice Guys is rated R. I don't know why pretty much every movie that I review is rated R. I just noticed that today, but another one, rated R, directed by Shane Black, categorized as an action, comedy, and crime movie. It runs one hour and 56 minutes long. It stars Russell Crowe, Ryan Gosling, and Andrew Rice. The Nice Guys comes in at a 92% full on the milk meter, and similar to what happened with Booksmart, The Nice Guys is a movie that I saw the trailer for, I knew I wanted to see it and that I would love it, and it just never happened. Finally, now that it's available to stream on HBO, I decided it was time to pull the trigger. Now, since I saw The Nice Guys for the first time a few weeks ago, I figured I'd give it a second viewing to jog my memory. Not surprisingly, I loved this movie even more the second time around. I was so excited to see it again, to relive the unreal chemistry between Gosling and Crowe with their fantastic comedy chops. There were plenty of things that Russell Crowe did and said that I laughed at and enjoyed, but I have to, and I must, tip my cap to Ryan Gosling for his flawless performance as Holland March. Between the Hitler jokes, the screams, the fact that he's invincible, and everything else that he offered in this role, he absolutely killed it. Most comedies just make me chuckle or exhale through my nose with one of those quick-hitting nasally laughs, but this movie gave me so many pure laughs that, of all the movies that I've seen and recommended, The Nice Guys should be at the top of everyone's list for must-see movies. Now, on top of the extraordinary humor, can we talk about how solid the story was? No, it wasn't the greatest plot to a movie ever written, and it wasn't mind-blowing by any means. But for a buddy cop comedy to have such a well-thought-out investigation that's not too smart for itself, but also not boring and obnoxious, I think that deserves some recognition. Better yet, they actually lose in the end. The reason I say that so excitedly is because they didn't lose in a lazily humorous way, and they obviously could have just won and been done with it all. But having March and Healy lose, simply put, made the story great. They didn't just mail in, like a, a cliche ending. In conclusion, as the smartest of writers and podcasters will say to bring everything to a close, I absolutely love The Nice Guys, and I will continue to use this movie as my motivation for simply seeing movies that I want to see. Go see The Nice Guys, then go see it again, and just enjoy some rock-solid comedy. That's all I have for you guys for news, reviews, rewinds. Uh, next week, Knives Out, that's my 2019 review, not available to stream, but highly recommend either renting it or re-seeing it. Um, uh, Dinner for Schmucks, it's on Netflix. I will leave it up to you guys if you're going to see that or not. Otherwise, thank you everyone for listening. Hasta la vista.